This is the St. Louis Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Last Man Up Podcast. Proud part of the St. Louis Podcast Network, stlpodcast.com. Matt Berger, Clay Byersdorfer, and Andy Hanselman alongside. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Berger. You can follow Clay at Ton of Clayton. And you can follow Andy at Emo6. I didn't realize last week that I kept saying you're... Twitter handle wrong there, Clay, and you never corrected me. You, you said you, that you didn't notice it. I didn't even not honestly notice it till you told me when I walked in the room today. So thank you for Every, losing me so many followers. Everybody last week was probably looking for a ton of Clay. Probably. And it was probably some uh, male porn star that they're now following instead of you. Hopefully. I mean, fingers crossed. But <laughs> I, I mean, you, you can hope for better followers, but I'll take whatever I can get at this point. Uh, very excited to be joined later today by Iman Brin. From the Athletic, he covers college basketball for uh, for the Athletic. So very excited to have him on. We'll be talking to him here in about uh, fifteen minutes. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time or ever where three out of my final four were done out of the second round. Yeah, it's second uh, round. They were done. It was done. A, it was a brutal uh, weekend for your boy in terms of. NCAA tournament picks. Oh, well, I think it was a bit brutal for everybody. Yeah, well, I... I mean, unless you have, like, Duke or Kansas winning the whole thing, you're probably, like, out of it. Which none of us said. Not, not none of us, us had. Because we said either we're all geniuses or we're all really dumb. Well, and yeah. it turns out... <laughs> the, the latter. The latter. The we latter. are really dumb when and, it comes to NCAA tournament brackets. And we're not alone. We're There's not alone. a lot of people who are, who are looking really dumb. Really dumb. I mean, nobody obviously picks a 16 over a 1. Um, no. No one has Loyola, Illinois, Chicago, you know, past the first. It was just a wild weekend. All I mean, all together. It was some of the... But to that, it was some of the best basketball that I've seen from the college rate. I mean, in years. I can't the, remember a better tournament where I'm more invested in a tournament than this year. The tournament is almost always exciting. But I think the reason why the tournament is exciting is because it's the one-and-done format. It's the one-and-done scenario. Absolutely. Which, like I said, is exciting, but it's a terrible way to determine who the best team is, in it's my a, opinion. It's a terrible way to lose money, too. That, if, too. Well, they're, they're, <laughs> they, name me a good way to lose money. A good good or bad, but uh, usually for most of us, it's, it's a bad way to lose money. I mean, any postseason tournament is, one, you know, is basically one-and-done, and you find out who's hot now. That's it's, it. not, it's not a judge of the season at all. Never has been for anything for baseball for football for especially well for okay hockey. but nor, like hockey normally okay like you can have like an eight seed you'll get a hot goalie yeah, like the L A right. Kings did with Quick and they could go on they can win the whole thing and plus that's a series format you that know, you too get multiple but, shots at it but for the most part because it is a series format with the exception of football because of the brutality of the sport normally the best team does kind of rise to the top I mean I'm not saying in every single scenario but. I would. What do you say? Like eight times out of ten, yeah, every once in a while you're going to have a scenario where the Golden State were like, believe it or not, kids, the Golden State Warriors used to suck. <laughs> they were and terrible. Was, and there was one year for a where, long time. <laughs> there was one year where they uh, uh, scratch and claw. They were an eighth seed in the Western Conference, and they beat the number one seed Dallas Mavericks in a very, very entertaining uh, first round series. 
you don't see that too often in the NBA. Every once in a while, you'll see that. Well, you'll have like the Denver Nuggets upset the uh, the Seattle SuperSonics, uh, or like we were talking about the Warriors and the Mavericks. Yep. But for the most part, the best teams usually prevail and move on. But not in the NCAA tournament. But not in the NCAA tournament. No, which I think is another reason why a lot of people like it. Yeah. They like the Cinderella's. They like the story until Cinderella is in the final game, mm-hmm. and then they don't want to watch. Right. It's, it's who hysteria. Who did we have a few years ago? Davidson? Butler? Was Davidson in the final four a few years ago? No, no. not Davidson. They haven't been good. I mean, they had a good year this year. They but had a good since, year this year, but I mean, Steph like... Steph Curry took him to the, what, Elite Eight? Yeah. When, whenever he played? Is that what it was? That, yeah. That's what it was. Okay. Yep. But, the, but, but then the, Butler was in the final, and then George Mason, who won. Did, you had George Mason go to the final four, and then there was a year where VCU, they were in the play-in game, and they yeah. made it to the final four. And the thing is, is that, okay... Everybody talks about how much they love Cinderella's, and they love the story. UMBC, uh, Loyola, they love those stories, but when they get to the championship game, no one watches. Because when Butler played those two, they Butler played Duke in one championship game, mm-hmm. and then um, UConn in the following one, right. the ratings for both of those were terrible. 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 Because when people want the title game, they want teams that they've heard of. Right. They, they want North Carolina. They want Duke. They want exactly. Kansas. They want, they as, want the heavyweight they want Florida. matchup. As yep. much as people complain about it, that's what they want. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's kind of like the same thing with the World Series, too. As much as people complain about how they don't want, like, you know, the Yankees or they don't want the Dodgers or they don't want someone like that in there, but when those teams aren't in there, no one watches. That's true. So I was reading today and kind of to your point and talking about is this kind of format or is having these Cinderella, I can't remember who the writer was, but talking about is this good for the game of college basketball, having this much upset, like in March Madness, in the tournament, is is it good for the game? Are we really getting an indication of who the best team actually is? And to your point, it sounds like your your thought is, no, it's not really a true indication. I, it's not a true indication, but I think it's great for the game. Mm-hmm. Viewership's up 4% yep. from what it was last year. And think about think about what uh, where college basketball is right now. You're being investigated by the FBI. That's true. You've got all kinds of corruption or like uh, accused or alleged corruption with coaches Rick Pitino and, uh, and Sean Miller in Arizona. So there's all kinds of scandal all over college basketball and ratings are up 4%. And it's exciting as hell to watch. Yeah. I, it, it's to me, it's good for, I disagree with the fact that it's not good for the game. Like I said, I saw that today. I really, I, I put a lot of investment and I think it's a, I think it's a really good thing for the game of college basketball. And to your point, college basketball needed this. They didn't need these heavyweight programs. They didn't need Arizona to get deep into the tournament because surrounding then Arizona. It kept the story going. Exactly. It would have yeah. kept the story going. So now that Arizona gets buried and teams, you know, who are under the investigation get buried, um, we, we have somebody to root for now. We have a new story. We have something that pushes all of that crap to the side and says, no, this is what college basketball is really all about. So while you were saying that the you know people want to see the, the, brand, the brand name teams in the tournament, I just looked up uh, appearances by school in okay. the, in the, in the uh, NCAA tournament, and it's difficult to win. North Carolina has been in the fin- has been in the final four twenty times. They've been champions six times. Oh yeah, yep. UCLA been in eighteen times. Now they won eleven because I think because they did they win eleven in a row or ten. Yeah, in a they row. did. Mm-hmm. I mean, like when you have Bill Walton right. and Lou Alcindor, aka uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you're going to win a lot of games. But even like you know powerhouses like Kentucky seventeen and eight, and Duke sixteen and five, Kansas. 
14 and 3. Even Michigan State, who you think of as an NCAA tournament powerhouse, has been in the Final Four nine times. Yeah. Nine times, Mrs. Bueller. I- I'm starting to think. And they've won twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to think that, you know what I said last week about Sean Miller and Arizona being fool's gold? Yeah. I'm starting to think that about Michigan State. You know, I saw the take. Sorry, Audrey. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I saw the take today that. Tom Izzo, is he overrated as a basketball coach? Now, I'm not you know saying it's, it's, I completely that, agree. I think, I think that's a fair question. It's a fair I'm, not, co- I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm saying it's a fair question. When you're a kind of blue blood program, I think you expect a little more. I think you expect a little more in terms of end of season when, results. When's the last time Michigan State was in the championship game? How many years ago was that? Well, Tom, 2010? I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking. Tom I'm Izzo looking. did not have gray hair like he has now. I'll yeah. Tell you that. Well, I mean, and they got... 20, uh, 2009. They, 2000, 2009. they got blown out by North Carolina, yeah, right? correct. Yeah, they got completely stomped. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that's that's a pretty fair assessment. Was that the, God, Dray, was even, that the Draymond Green? Was he... Was 2009, was that Draymond Green? Was no, he on Draymond that Green was after that. Was, that, was, was, was after way, that? Way after that. God, and I keep going back to all these references like George Mason and Butler. You know what your George Mason was? What, 2006? 2006. Yeah. Butler was 2010 and 2011. Yeah. It's wheels. I mean, those wheels. aren't real recent. No, and time. And I want to go back to those. <laughs> you know what it is? It's a sign that you're getting old. Yeah, I'm the same way. We're all getting I'm older. the same way. <laughs> like, that I, was just a couple years ago. Butler was in the Final Four. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I think 1997 was a couple years ago, and it's been, you know, 20. 20 years. Final Four from 97. Go. Oh, I have no idea. I couldn't even tell you who the Final Four was last year. I'm better at like the title games. I'm pretty good at remembering final fours. I'm terrible. Yeah, last year South Carolina got yeah. the final four. South Carolina G- made it to the final Gonzaga. four. Gonzaga, right? South Carolina, Gonzaga, uh, North Carolina, and I'm missing on the fourth. Yeah, I couldn't tell last you last year. Uh, Who did you guys have? I had Gonzaga, South Carolina, North Carolina, Oregon. Or, Oregon. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Oregon. Right. The Ducks. They're not even relevant this year. Neither is, neither is South Carolina. Not, here's not here's South. 97 from uh, from 21 years ago. Arizona was the national champion. Okay, with Lute Olson. Lute Olson. Oh, wow. Lute Olson Court. Kentucky. Yeah. Minnesota, who I believe had to vacate something. Uh, vacated a Final Four appearance due to violations of NCAA rules. And then uh, North Carolina. There we, there we are. North Carolina always in Again, it. Always be, in it. Always in it. Always in contention. Always in, I mean, always there. Let me guys ask you this. When your bracket is completely busted, and everybody's bracket was busted early, does your interest wane at all in the tournament? Oh, or are you 100%. still all right there? 100%. If, no, because, I mean, I, I never, I fill brackets out, but I bet like five bucks on it. I, so I, as it, as we get closer to the Sweet 16, or in the Elite Eight and the Final Four, I get my interest grows. Okay. See, if my... It's two takes. One, if I go belly up like after the first weekend, like I quit watching all of the games. Seems like I'm less <laughs> yeah. invested now. Because you get because you get angry, right? Because yeah. I'm like, no, I just, get it. This I is totally just pissing get me off. Like yes. I'm just sitting here angry for eight hours a day watching basketball. Yeah, you lose interest that weekend. I can see where you get pissed off Saturday and Sunday if your bracket's busted on Friday. The, the, and that's what I mean, right? Yeah, because yeah. because so when the games start back up on Thursday, you're gonna be you're gonna be right back in. Oh, 100 percent. Well, yeah. And my second point to this is, if you have a team like you know for our St. Louis area fans, like if Mizzou was still you know in the tournament God. after that embarrassing just <sighs> lost, <laughs> we're not gonna bring that up. We're not gonna bring that okay, up. Okay, but like Mizzou looked bad. Mizzou did look. Mizzou bad. looked terrible. Mizzou looked so bad that I didn't even really watch the game. I was watching UMBC and uh, and Virginia, University yeah. of Missouri, British Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to look up what UMBC was, and I had oh, I, no I, idea. I knew what it meant from a few years ago because they were in the tournament. 
And I asked somebody, I'm like, UMBC, what's that? And a friend of mine said, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And then a shout-out to Tim Kalashaw, the longtime columnist for the Dallas Morning News, who had the tweet of the day when he said, he goes, I think that's where Stringer Bell took his his day classes. If anybody anybody watches The Wire, they get the joke. Because Stringer Bell was taking classes he, during the day. He probably would take classes at UMBC. And I think it was at UMBC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, yeah. So we're going to be joined by uh, Iman Brennan here in a little bit. we got plenty to talk about with him. Uh, you know, d- disappointments. Is it Virginia? Is it Michigan State? Is it North Carolina? Is it Xavier? There's All of the so, above. All of the so above. So <laughs> Cincinnati, there's so many to go over. Yeah. Uh, bigger surprise. Is it UMBC upsets Virginia? Is it uh, Loyola, Illinois, you know, in the Sweet 16? Is it Syracuse? I mean, would you consider Syracuse a surprise? Because at Syracuse is Jim Beheim. So, I mean, they're they're a blue-chip program. They're, but they had, to, they had to do the playing game to get into the tournament. They had to win that game, and now they're in the Sweet 16. They're a blue-chip program, no doubt. And you can never – when you have Jim Beheim as your coach, he's a Hall of Fame coach for a reason. He's won a ton of games. So, it's like you can never really count them out. Exactly. But he's still like one of those coaches. Like, okay, how many like actual national titles have you won? I mean, granted, we just brought up the statistic that not a lot of people, you know, actually <laughs> advance all the way. But Jim Jim Beheim's an excellent coach, and it doesn't really surprise me as much as the other things that took place this weekend. It's so difficult to win, as we were talking about. You get to so many trips to the Final Fours. Mm-hmm. And how many times you actually win it? Yeah, it's, I think a lot of it is because these are college kids, and college kids are flaky. And it's just—I mean, it's an odds game. I mean, it's just like you know, a good NBA team—you can win ten out of eleven. But if that eleven is the national, you know, championship I, I, game, like no one cares about the previous ten. I, I forgot who it was. It was a couple of talking heads on ESPN, and they were blaming Arizona's loss on the players, saying the players they weren't into it and they quit. Basically, I'm like. For a tournament game, the first round, and they quit? It's, Come on. It's And especially with college kids, like, you see the pure emotion that comes out of those kids All the time. during the game, after the game, you know, pregame. I don't put any emphasis or any thought, like, yeah, the players, like, actually, unless a player comes out and is like, yeah, I just wasn't I trying, just quit. Which yeah. I, I can't remember a time of that ever happening. So, it to me, it, I just, it's, it's nonsense to say, like, oh, it, the players' hearts aren't into it. You really don't see that with basketball. You saw that a few years ago with Ben Simmons when he was at LSU. Yeah. And LSU was terrible. And they wanted to go to the NIT, and he's like, I'm not going to the NIT. Yeah. And I totally understand where he was coming from because you don't want to get hurt in a meaningless game. No, 100%. You're, you're seeing it in college football. Yeah. Where, you, you know, I'm not going to go out there and tear my ACL in the, you know, the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl or whatever it is. I'm not going to go out there and do that. Yeah. For, for the coach's bonus? Hell no. No. When I could be a first-round NFL pick? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't blame them. Yeah. You don't, I'd do the same thing. You don't blame the kids. I think the biggest difference with this Arizona team is, yeah, Aiton was a stud, but they had some players. Like, I mean, they, they always had some do. players. I mean, I they, just, they always do. That's why I think Sean Miller's a problem. Yeah. you got to get rid of him. It, it's going to be an interesting offseason in college basketball in terms of, you know, this FBI investigation, whatever ends up, you know, happening I, in the tournament. Honest to God, I'm surprised Sean Miller's still there. Re- you know, aside from the fact of everything that's going on with the FBI, but he's had some really good teams, some like number one rate teams, and they have gone absolutely nowhere and have fallen flat in the NCAA tournament. I am stunned Sean Miller is still there. We're, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Sean Miller's future with Iman Brennan from The Athletic. He's going to be joining us next. You're listening to the Last Man Up podcast, part of the St. Louis Podcast Network, stlpodcast.com. <laughs> you 
You're listening to the Last Man Up podcast, part of the St. Louis Podcast Network. Matt Berger and Clay Byersdorfer alongside Andy Hanselman behind the dials. We're happy to be joined by Iman Brennan from The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Iman Brennan. Iman, how are you, sir? I'm good, guys. How are you? Good. Uh, we were talking in our opening segment that I can't remember. I don't know about your bracket. I'm sure it's busted like everybody else's. But I can't remember the last time that I've had so few teams left in my Final Four after the second round. How are you faring? Um, mine is, you know, I mean, I think mine is as busted as everyone else's, which is to say that um, the teams that, that everyone was shocked that lost, namely uh, Virginia, um, are the teams that, you know, that I'm also missing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think, um, my bracket is good insofar as I had Duke winning it. And I feel like that was kind of a, not, you know, it wasn't off the wall pick, but it was, um, probably a, a fairly uncommon pick relative to the Virginias and Villanova's sure. uh, and Michigan State even of the world. So I think that, um, that that's my brackets redeeming hope. Uh, if if Duke and Villanova play in the Final Four and Duke wins, then I think relative to to everyone else's bracket, um, I'd be in in pretty good shape. But you know, I mean, it, everybody's is, is all kinds of uh, messed up at this point, and usually that's the case. But this is this has been a a special year on that front for sure. I hate to say this about you know college kids, eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old kids. But who would you say has been the biggest disappointment after two rounds? Is it Virginia? Is it Michigan State? Is it North Carolina? Xavier? Cincinnati? Who was the one that just just completely floored you? Well, so I think the 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 only real answer here is Virginia. Um, you know, and with all due respect to UMBC, who um, played great and and did exactly what they needed to do in that game, um, even if they hadn't built the lead, they built. Uh, deep into the second half or hadn't sustained it. They did what they needed to do, which is put the, put the onus on Virginia. Right. Um, and, and we see that so often in March is like upsets come when the team that's supposed to win and knows they're supposed to win, um, gets in, you know, deep into the second half and everyone in the arena can feel what's going on and everybody gets a little tight and a little nervous and a little in their own head. Um, and do I, you know, do I, do I push here? Do I shoot? Do I play free? Am I playing too free? Like all of these questions start um, overtaking and you're not just playing. Um, and so UMBC deserves credit for putting Virginia in that position. But um, let's be real. I mean, Virginia played their worst game of the season by, you know, an exponential factor by a factor of 10 at least. And um, it is disappointing because this is a team that, you know, like, they weren't supposed to be in this position in the first place relative to sort of their talent and what they brought back, but they were so, so good on the defensive end this year. And they were so assured on the offensive end, even when they weren't scoring a lot of points, um, that to see them play the way they played, um, it, the answer is definitely Virginia. I think to, for a slightly, um, you know, to, to make it a little bit more interesting, I think you can make a case for Cincinnati only insofar as, uh, all year long, we've seen Cincinnati um, just dominate teams on the defensive end, and the fact that they were unable to really stem the tide at all against Virginia down the last 10 minutes of that game, um, I kept waiting for that to happen, like the, the, the 
few, you know, handful of possessions where Cincinnati just shut it down and then um, got a couple offensive rebounds and just bruised it uh, the rest of the way. And, and to not see that happen um, was disappointing. And then, yeah, I think Xavier's disappointing too. Neither of them rise to the level of Virginia, but um, the Musketeers all year long were incredibly smart and savvy in the way they went about games, particularly late in games. It's a big part of the reason why they won so many games because they weren't this overwhelming offensive force that Villanova was where, um, you know, they were blowing people out as often as not. Um, they had to win a lot of close games and they did it because they were so savvy and so smart. And I was, I was really shocked uh, to see Florida state come back and, and, and win that game. I just thought, um, you know, it might not have ever been a double digit deficit, but, but coming down the stretch of the game before Mikura had to go to the bench with foul trouble and a couple fouls that I thought were, were really questionable. Um, he was running that game, and it did not look like there was any chance that Florida State would find a way uh, really to get back into it and, and make it a threat, and, and they did, and, and I was pretty shocked by that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, speaking of Florida State, since we are you know kind of a St. Louis-based podcast, we definitely want to talk about the Missouri Tigers, um, who lost to Florida State 67-54 in the opening round. Um, kind of talk to me or kind of talk to us about kind of Mizzou season. Were you really surprised to see, even though they were seated higher than Florida state, that they lost that first round matchup against them? Um, no, not really. I mean, I thought, I thought, you know, Florida state was a good team and they were, they, you know, they had moments during the season where they looked a lot better than they did on selection Sunday. Right. So, um, you know, I, I thought it, it wasn't a game that I was necessarily expecting Missouri to win. And, and honestly, I think um, you can look at this Missouri season and compare it to where they were a year ago. And, you know, I mean, they won eight games a year. I mean, like, yeah, night and day um, difference. The, yeah, I mean, the fact that they were where they were at all um, honestly kind of snuck up on me when I was writing Bubble Watch in the middle of the season. And um, it was sort of like, oh yeah, Missouri's nice. Like they're they're in the picture, and then you know they won those five games in a row where they went from four and five in the SEC to eight and five in the SEC, or three and five to eight and five, and and uh, all of a sudden I was like, wow, like Missouri's for real. Um, you know, I was disappointed in um, a little bit in the way they played. I saw a decent chunk of that second half, um, and I was simultaneously impressed with Michael Porter on the offensive end and, and what was obviously his natural talent. Um, but I, it was just as obvious uh, that a, he wasn't in game shape, which is totally understandable. Sure. Um, but also B was just not where anywhere close to where he needed to be on the defensive end, um, both figuratively sort of in a, a large scale of like knowing what's going on, but also literally where, um, there were several possessions in the second half, and I, I basically spent a decent chunk of that game just watching him. Um, and there were like some James Harden level gifts of like, where are you right now on the defensive end? Like, what are you doing? And <laughs> yeah. where should you be? And like, how many feet away from the actual spot that you need to be when you're on the weak side sort of rotation? And how, and like, how far away from like, where is the delta there? And it was very, very large. And, um, it, I kind of felt bad for him, but I also, it was hard not to sit there and go, son, like you are lost throughout here right now. And, and he's clearly a very talented guy. Um, I wish it would have worked out in a way that, that he could have at least gotten a few more games in uh, before the tournament started, because that would have been an interesting proposition, but um, I didn't necessarily expect them to win. I, I can't say I was disappointed 
especially given, um, like we said, where they were a year ago. I think this was this was all bonus. I think if you're 500 this year, you're pretty happy with that coming into the year, and and where they ended up is is uh, is light years beyond. No kidding. Iman Brennan joining us right now from The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Iman Brennan. Iman, uh, sticking with Michael Porter Jr., a couple of questions. One, do you think that he that his, uh, that he hurt his, drax, uh, his, his uh, draft stock by coming back too soon and playing in these tournament games? And like you're saying, looking like James Harden, which is never a good comparison on the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> and the other question I have is, is that uh, Gabe DeArmond, who runs a Mizzou fan website called Power Mizzou, and he is hearing that Michael Porter Jr. may be coming back to Mizzou next year. What are you hearing? I haven't heard anything along those lines, but it hasn't been a, a focus, I guess I'll say, in the, in the tournament um, uh, with everything else that's going on. I, I will just say, you know, you never know, right? Like, I was 100% convinced that Miles Bridges last year would, would go to the NBA. Um, I had talked to him. I spent time with him for a story. Uh, and, um, he never said anything like that to me, but, uh, given his background and sort of his ambitions, um, that he expressed and has expressed, um, you know, over the course of, of talking to him in the course of the season, um, you know, you got the feeling that it made, it it would make total sense if he was one and done. And and he probably would have been a, I mean, he would have been a first round draft pick, probably a lottery pick and he chose to come back. So. Um, I think, and, and you know, and he had a, a full freshman season and a good freshman season. I think it's not shocking. Um, it wouldn't be totally shocking if Michael Porter came back. Remember, Jared Sollinger at Ohio State was another guy. Yeah, sure. Uh, who could have done that? It, it does happen sometimes, right? Like, you know, uh, I, I think for him, it, the reason—if it would surprise me—the reason is because of the injury. Um, but you know, if if he is hearing or or if he is convinced that if he comes back. Um, he, he spends an entire summer working, comes back next year. Um, he's still just a sophomore. He's still just, what, 19, maybe 20, however, whatever, yeah. you know, range he is in there. Um, that I, I can't imagine his draft stock would be hurt very much, given his sort of natural talents, his size, and, and what he can do with the ball. Um, and, and if he shores some things up, then, then, yeah, you can see that maybe working. I don't know that he hurt his draft stock by coming back too early, because I think all of the things that, that all the caveats that I included in sort of my little amateur assessment um, will like are things that scouts will be saying too. And there'll be plenty of, of people who uh, in NBA front offices who will recognize the, the circumstances and the context of the situation. But um, you know, I, I, from a selfish standpoint, yeah, that'd be great if he did, because I would like to watch him play college basketball for a full season because clearly the talent is there. Clearly the potential is there. Um, he didn't have an opportunity to display it. And then when he was able to finally get on the court, you know, I mean, geez, like imagine trying to, to, you know, run a marathon and, and you haven't been able to really like walk. Oh, absolutely. No training. Two months or something. You know, I mean, it, it's a totally different ball game. And, and you could tell him that, you know, there were, there was a lot of that game left and he was exhausted and understandably. So it'd be interesting to see him back next year, full strength, sort of full health and, um, see what he was able to do we'll we'll see I, I wouldn't expect it but um you know you never know sometimes it does happen and, and it can yield uh it can yield good results and selfishly of course we would like to see him play for mizzou <laughs> one more year instead of being you know 
buried on the bench next year in Orlando or Sacramento or wherever else, Brooklyn, where he's going to be uh, next year in the NBA. And, and thinking about what you're saying, how he looked defensively, it could be a product of him not being in game shape and him not For wanting sure. to exert all the energy on the defensive side, knowing that he was going to be needed on the offensive side. Yeah, that could be part of the problem. Although some of the possessions I saw were just, I mean, they weren't that. <laughs> it was just a straight up not knowing. <laughs> it was just straight up not knowing where you need to be. Um, but again, that's that's similar to the fatigue question in that, you know, he hasn't been playing team defense with these guys all year. It's not like he is um, like he was a, a red shirt sort of situation where. Um, like, you know, at Villanova, Amari Spellman, who had to redshirt last year for academic reasons and comes on the court this year. And it's like, well, yeah, of course, because he, he's allowed to practice. He was practicing with them all year. He was working out with them all summer. Uh, so he knows where he needs to be. He's been getting reps in and it's, it's drilled in. Um, Michael Porter didn't have that. He just had the ability to watch and, you know, he's got rehab and he's working on his own stuff. Like, of course it's going to be an issue. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, all of that stuff factors in. Uh, I, I, would, I would be really fascinated to see what he looked like um, were he to come back and play another season of college basketball next year. Hopefully he would you know, be able to have a, a full, healthy, uh, in-shape season. And, and I think that could be, I mean, I would really like to see what he looked like under those conditions. Let's just put it that way. No doubt, no doubt. I think we all would. Uh, Mizzou aside, and we have some games obviously coming up in the tournament this weekend, what's one thing or what's something that you've got your eye on as these games start up in the Sweet 16 uh, and Elite Eight games kind of kick off? Yeah, you know, I, I man, there's a lot, honestly. Um, <laughs> pick one thing. Uh, pick one thing. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, to, to me, I, I mentioned Duke earlier. I think seeing how they play against Syracuse um, – you know, we kind of know how they'll play against Syracuse, but I'm interested to see if, if this is in any way, shape, or form a different Syracuse or if they have a different look uh, for Duke. Um, I'm very interested to see how Purdue sort of now having uh, four, five, six days to, to figure out life after Isaac Haas, um, what their offense will look like uh, when they come back out and play Texas Tech, which is one of the best defensive teams in the country, one of the best teams on the defensive end still left in, in this tournament. Um, and then I'm really interested to see what West Virginia and Villanova looks like from a stylistic perspective. Because oh, yeah. West Virginia, obviously, as everybody knows, loves to press. And they create the most turnovers in the country basically every year at this point. Um, but I'm not convinced that that is necessarily uh, something that you can get Villanova to do. I'm not sure you can get uh, a team that is so good, um, you know, at the guard position uh, on so basically one through four because Mikael Bridges basically plays the four in a lot of ways. Although Eric Pascal, they're they're interchangeable um, and they're kind of positionless. But basically, with the exception of Amari Spellman, you're comfortable with with almost any of those guys bringing it up the floor. Sure. And if you sort of envision in your mind's eye West Virginia's press getting a trap, um, you know, behind half court and the classic sort of press break of like you, you throw it ahead uh, to, you know, I don't know, the, the center circle, or you throw it ahead to the wing, which is typically what happens. Most teams will take that catch at the wing 
and they will hold the ball and they will wait for their point guard to get up the court and they will hand it off to them and then they'll run their half court offense. Villanova's not going to do that. They're just going to take that shot. Like as soon as they catch it on the wing, that that it's going up. And so I don't know. Like I think there is uh, there is a big time risk for West Virginia in selling out on the defensive end the way they normally do and the way they did against um, you know the way they have against basically every opponent, but they're 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 too. Um, you know, their first and second round opponents. And I, I will be interested to see who has to make the adjustment and what those adjustments are and whether West Virginia decides to maybe like, okay, a little token pressure, a little one-on-one man press, but they're not actually going to sell out and trap the way they normally would um, unless it's late in the game and they're trailing. That is fascinating to me because that could be, um, it, it could be a, you know, and I could be wrong. And Bob Huggins is a really, really smart basketball mind and he could be saying no we have to sell out because we can control the the terms of engagement at that point um i'll be really interested to see what they do uh and and how different it is from what they normally do or whether they they go even in the opposite direction and sort of a counter counter counterintuitive direction and really try and make villanova uncomfortable sure i can't think of two coaches that are more uh opposite stylistically just from their appearance than bob huggins (laughs) And Jay Wright. I mean, like Bob Huggins looking like he's going to go Bob Huggins very slob- Bob Huggins very slovenly looking, and then sitting on a bar stool yeah. <laughs> on not, the court, yeah. not smiling, not at smiling at time. all, looking like he's struggling to breathe. And then Jay Wright, who looks like he just jumped out of, of out of a GQ shoot. What, what's that saying yeah, on, no. on the internet? What the, the kids say? Those two guys do not share the same tailor. No, not, not at all. <laughs> not not or dietitian or diet. Uh, was it? What did the kids say on Twitter? You know, you versus the guy that she tells you not to worry about. That's what it looks like. Jay Wright is the guy <laughs> yeah. that you should be worrying the, about. Jay Jay Wright's the guy you should be worried about. Hundred percent. Iman Brennan, enjoy the rest of the tournament, sir. We appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks. That is Iman Brennan from The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Iman Brennan. Uh, great conversation. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to the rest of the tournament. So, um, Yeah, looking forward to it. Iman's a great mind in college basketball. And uh, a lot of interesting, interesting basketball, I think, is going to continue to happen this weekend for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> You're listening to the Last Man Up podcast, part of the St. Louis Podcast Network. Matt Berger, Clay Byersdorfer, and Andy Hanselman alongside. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Berger. You can follow Clay at Ton of Clayton, and you can follow Andy at Emo6. Um, while we were talking to uh, Iman Brennan from The Athletic, we said we were, we were kind of goofing on uh, Bob Huggins and Jay Wright, yes. and how they look like, you know, you versus the guy that she tells you not to worry about. Yes. So I was thinking about other examples and other sports of you versus the guy that she tells you not to worry about. Yeah. And then the NFL is like, it's got to be Andy Reid is you. 100%. And the guy that she tells you not to worry about is who, like Doug Peterson? Sean McVay. Sean McVay. Very good. <laughs> That's even better. Because okay. have, have you seen Sean McVay's girlfriend? Oh, yeah. Oh, She's still like a Ukrainian she, model. She is neat. As that's Andy neat. Hanselman would put it. She is no, no, that's, that's, that's from Jay Randolph Jr. I cannot, I cannot <laughs> claim that as my own. Fair but enough. I just like to borrow it. Uh, S-E-A-N-M-C-V-A-Y. Sean McVay. Sean McVay's girlfriend. Let's put it this wife. way. Yeah. Uh, Don- oh, my. Donald Trump would definitely have her sign a non-disclosure agreement. No doubt. I know a lot about insanely hot <laughs> Sean McVay's girlfriend. And she's terrific. And then, and then, Holy shnikes. And then in the, or, uh, in, in the NBA, I was thinking that you would be like Stan Van Gundy. 
and yeah. the guy that she tells you not to worry about would be like Eric Spolstra, really, just or Luke Walton. Anybody with that kind of mustache to where it's just like it's shaved, but it's not shaved correctly. If, if people compare you to Ron Jeremy. And it's by the looks, not from the waist down. That's probably not a good thing. Great basketball mind, just not the best looking guy. No, he is, <laughs> he, he is not exactly classically handsome. He is not classically handsome. And then in Major League Baseball, you would be like Clint Hurdle or Bruce Bochy. For sure. And the guy that she would tell you not to worry about would have to be Mike Matheny. See, I don't know. Like I've heard, I've heard that narrative before, like, oh, Mike Matheny is good. I just don't, objectively, I don't find Mike Matheny to be attractive. I've met Mike Matheny, and there—I mean, seriously, there's a presence about him. Hashtag blessed. Are we, <laughs> we are amongst greatness. He's met Mike Matheny. I've, in, I've, inter, I've actually interviewed him. Oh, aren't you special? Yeah. Oh my god. Dan, Dan Buffa and I kind of. Uh, oh my! Look at, look at Dan, name dropper over yeah, here. Dan, I know Mike Matheny. Dan Buffa. Dan Buffa and I. We kind of freshly hij- tatted up. Dan Buffa. We yeah. hi- we kind of hijacked him at an event at uh, Ballpark Village. Oh, that's right. I do remember that. <laughs> I can only imagine what was going through his head when you two bozos cornered we're him. We're like, we're like, hey, sit down, talk for a hey, while, and he did. We're from five ninety, and it was is funny that, because is that the same as Camel X. Do you know Chris Raby? <laughs> Well, my, Mike Claiborne was there, and Mike Claiborne gave us a okay, lot of Okay, he dad. vouched for you? Yeah, he okay. vouched for us. There you go. All now, right. what the funny thing is is that the game the, the game that was being played that day was when the ball stuck to Yadier Molina's chest protector. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we basically were, we were talking about uh, – we were talking to Mike about the, the project that he was a part of that was now is now defunct, but the, like this big, huge baseball complex right. that oh, was yeah, going yeah, to yeah. go in Chesterfield. It bankrupted him. Well, no, 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 not that. Not before he was the manager. No, this is recent. The, the recent one. There was oh, gonna, the recent one. There yeah, was yeah. a recent one that completely fell apart. That he was. It wasn't his thing, like him alone, but he was a part of it. It was within the last, what, year? Last right? year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last okay. year. Last year. Yeah. So at the very end, I asked him about the ball sticking to Molina's chest protector. I mean, you got to. And I asked him, I'm like, have you ever seen anything like that before? He's like, no, I have. You know, he kind of laughed about it. And then when the interview was over, man, he gave me a look like he wanted to slit my throat. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, he kind of gave me a dirty look. I'm like, did I ask a, a bad question? I mean, it's not like I accused, you know, the ball of being scuffed or or having, you know, pine tar on it or anything right. like that. I'm like, just ask, have you seen anything like that before? And man, he just gave me the dirtiest ass look. And I'm like, well, what the hell, man? I mean, did you call him out? Did you ask him why he... Why you give me the stink eye, no, bro? No, no, I should have. <laughs> it I should ruined. have live on the air. How great would have that been? <laughs> hey, fella, listen up. I'm, you, not af- I'm not afraid to throw hands. We'll throw hands. Yeah. You think you'd throw hands with Mike Matheny? Oh, I, I'd get my ass kicked. I mean, he's he's, he's a guy. He's, he's a big, big guy. dude. No, he really is. He's a lot bigger in person. Yeah, I mean, than he, when you see him on TV, you see him on TV, and you still like he's so uh, he's a tough guy. This, this picture that you sent us is this McVeigh's girlfriend. It most certainly is. Yeah, she is. Uh, she is a solid ten. Veronica VR. O N I K A, Komen C H O M Y N. She's Ukrainian, I think. Boy, she is neat. Yeah, good, cool. good, good for, for him. him. Good for, good for him. him for sure. So he's, he's doing okay for himself. He's what year right. did Bethune became the manager in twelve? So this would have been the eleven opening day, and we were outside buying tickets. I think to go in at that at that ticket booth that faces Eighth Street right there, right there by the stand. And yep. And John Mabry and Mike Matheny come walking by. Everybody's like, hey, it's John Mabry. It's John Mabry, everybody. <laughs> Not it's Mike Matheny and John Mabry. <laughs> Mike Matheny wasn't even mentioned. Wow. He was not even not really even recognized. That's crazy. Everybody recognized John. And then a year later, to the day, 
He's in the dugout as the manager of the Cardinals. It's a real, it's a, it's a real rags to riches story. It really is. But you got to think like even like diehard Cardinals fans. You think about like who actually made a bigger impact for the Cardinals over the course of their playing career. Like that's Mike Matheny. No, like no question, right? Well, he was kind. Of, I have some friends who really, really disliked Matheny as a player too, because they hated how he stood in the batter's box. Well, and I, also I've never his seen one twelve batting average. Yes, I have never seen a bigger man with worse batting power in my entire life. Brutal. I mean, I mean he's one of those guys where you you see Mike Matheny, you're like. Now, why can't I have that physique? <laughs> like, seriously, he is a hoss. He's a big dude. He's a big dude. And, and then, then you'd see him at the plate, and he had a really awkward batting stance, and he would choke up on the bat. And, I mean, what, what is, like, what's the, like, you, you had the computer there in front of you. I would love to know how many home runs, like the most home runs he had in one season. I bet you it's, it's, uh, there's no way it's double digits. Well, career, career, no way. career average. Let's just talk average. Like well, career, he it, he's got to well, be below the Mendoza line. He was known for, <laughs> he was known for being more of a defensive player than an offensive player. He was hundred percent. He won how many gold gloves? Yeah. A ton, a ton of, I mean, ton, he, every year he, he, he probably won like three or four. I wouldn't say he won a ton. He's nowhere. He's not in Yachty's category. No, but he did win maybe one or two, maybe three. Um, and I heard, and actually, I think this was in the post last year, that the reason why he won't bat, because remember when um, Adam Wainwright was just hitting the cover off the ball? Yeah. And they're like, why wouldn't you bat Adam Wainwright eighth instead of ninth? Mm-hmm. And the reason why he won't do it is because Larusa used to bat him ninth and the pitcher eighth, and he didn't like that. So he wasn't going to do that to one of his other players. You know, <laughs> advantage be damned. <laughs> It's a vengeance. Uh, we're we're, we're going to worry about players' feelings. I have my answers. complaining about millennials. I have the answers you guys desire. Let's do our prices right. Uh, closest without going over. Yeah. On uh, season total for home runs. Season total yeah. for home runs. Just, yeah. The, the most the, amount the of home runs. The most ever had in one season. The most amount in one season. I'm going to go 18. Oh, Mike Matheny in one season? I'm, I'm going high. I'm going high oh, there. They're I'm going I, high. I would say 10. It goes to Berger. 13 with the Giants okay, in, in 05. I'm, I'm surprised he had that many. Seriously. Career home runs. Under 200. Oh, under 100. You think under? Yes. Again, it goes to Mr. Berger with Damn. 67. I'm off today. Uh, career batting average. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go low. Two, 220. See, I, I was going to go maybe a, a tad higher and say like 230, 228. You guys are right there. It's 239. Here's the big one. Career OPS. Oh. <laughs> uh, is it above nine? No. No. Probably way below it. You think? No. It's point six three seven. Oh my god. Is his career OPS? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to give Mike Matheny the benefit of the doubt. I know you are. I like. I like where your head's at. He god. he was not an offensive oh, juggernaut he, at he, all. That t- for some reason, just remembering Mike Matheny, it must have been just his defensive prowess. But that's what it was. He was great defensively, and he was great at handling I just forgot pitchers. how much and of a bum he was. Here's, and here's the kicker: over 13 seasons, total salary, 18.7 million dollars. Boom. Yeah. And then he lost it all. Right. Yeah. Right, then it's all gone. <laughs> well, I mean, that's it, a story for another. You guys want to do uh, career war? No. Now Two. we're just getting. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't even tell. You. Minus it's point four. It's probably Minus. negative. I was gonna say. It, negative. After all those numbers, it's pretty you much tell it's me it's pretty above much one. zero. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Which but, means which means that he's just on average with everybody else, right? If he's a zero war. Yeah, that's true. He's like that means he's he's no he's, different. He's an average major leaguer. He's one of those players you just look back and say, eh. 
<laughs> I saw this stat yesterday from our friend Kevin Fowler. Shout out to Kevin Fowler and check out his band uh, for the city. They're actually quite good. You can see them playing around St. Louis and Cape Girardeau. Um, he posted this on Facebook yesterday. Now, we're recording this on Tuesday. The Blues are playing the Bruins uh, tomorrow night. So, you know, take in consideration when, when we are recording this. But after 72 games, this like last season, the Blues were 39-28-5. They were third oh, in the Central. This. Yep. This year, they're 39-28-5, and they're sixth in the Central. And people are calling for heads to be put so on the stakes. So their record is exactly the same. As it was last year at this time, it's just that the Central is that much better. Yeah. I mean, it, people are ready to just dis- disavow the entire organization at this point. Oh, yeah, pe- people want Tarasenko <laughs> traded, and you know they want Mikey O fired already. And it, it, Blues Slow fans, your roll. Blues fans, are, I mean, I, I totally understand their frustration. You saw the way this team was playing at the very beginning of the year and how they're playing right now. I could totally understand it. But... Here's the best way to look at it, Blues fans. You have to worry about having your heart broken this year in the playoffs because I don't think they're going to make it. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, the heartbreak starts maybe a little earlier and you're able to get over it a little quicker before next season. And um, you temper your expectations, Blues fans. Here's one thing I don't understand. Help me out with this. I think I'm, I think I'm going to know your answer. But why aren't the Vegas Golden Knights a bigger story? Is it because it's the NHL and no one really cares, like nationally? Hockey is just now a re- hockey is a regional sport. You only care about your team. That's pretty much it. Your team and like maybe you're like your closest rival. Like we care about what the Blues do. We want the Blues to do well, and then you want the Nashville Predators and the and the Chicago Blackhawks to do poorly. Yeah, I th- that's about it. Like what the Kings are doing, what the Ducks are doing, like you know what the Rangers or the Bruins or the Canadians are doing. You don't care, right? I mean, personally, I don't care about. You know the squad in Vegas. I think really like to make this, but that's I mean like like if you look because I, I didn't know this until I looked at the standings. They are number one in yeah. the Pacific Division. Yeah, and this is their first year. First year. First With year, the, and they're number one in their division. Guys have never played together. <laughs> never. How does this happen? I, you know, it, How, if this was if this was the NBA or if this was Major League Baseball or if this was the NFL, this would be so much of a bigger story than what it is. I think so. I. Cannot disagree with you. I think for me, it's just hockey is such, um, and I know con- you know comparably like the NBA is a very long season. Hockey is such a long season, and it's hard to sustain that kind of excitement for a you know a new kind of Cinderella team for that long a time. And I think the only real like exclamation point or really way that they're gonna be like, yo, the you know the Kings are or not the Kings, uh, the Golden Knights are legit is if they win the title. I mean that that's like then I, I'll then I'll be like get excited about it. Clay, I think they're legit now. I I'm not saying they're not legit now. I'm saying for they're forty they're forty six twenty one and five. I I mean I I think they can. God, that's their record forty six twenty one and five for an expansion <laughs> team. God, good they, lord. They they have they have a better record than the Washington Capitals. They have a better record than the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have a better record than the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have the, the only person in the Western Conference that has a better record than the Vegas Golden Knights are the Nashville Predators. Yeah, I just I think it's one of those things like if they and if they don't win, then everyone's gonna be like, oh, you know, who really cared about that season? Oh it's, no, I don't think. I mean, it, okay, if you're if you're the owner of the Vegas Golden well, if Knights, you're the, okay, if you're the owner, if you're the players, like, yeah, you're incredibly proud. But from like the realm of the NHL as a whole, like. One, yes, it's super awesome that you have this expansion team who's like 
kind of kicking ass. You know, you're like, hey, this this process works. You can put a team in Vegas. But at the very beginning of this episode, we talked about, you know, the NCAA tournament. And is this a great way to determine who the best team is? <laughs> we were talking about hockey and how hockey's weird because if you have that hot goalie, you could go all the way and win the whole damn thing. Yeah. If the Vegas Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup and their inaugural season, every Blues fan is going to be on a suicide watch. I, it's it's going to be a bloodbath in St. Louis, no doubt. It will be unbelievable. There, there will there. I mean, Tarasenko will be traded. There, there, there will be people who are going to be burning their season tickets. Yeah, burning their Brett Hull jerseys. It's it's going to be interesting. I, I'm hesitant to say like, yeah, they're they're definitely. I mean, right oh, now they're I, I, like. I don't, the, I don't watch enough of it to say if they're if they're cup contenders or not. I, I'm, I'm just looking at the standings. Yeah, from a pure standing standing or standings. Good lord, standing standpoint. Um, you look at them and say, yeah, like they're definitely one of the favorites, but. Man, playoff hockey is just so weird sometimes. We and you just mentioned it like it takes one team to just get really hot. And I wonder too, since being an expansion team, like you know, they haven't played together in a playoff format. No. So it's really like, do we really know who this team is yet? If you're the owner, they're three um, points away from having a hundred point season. They could win the President's Cup. Now, that's that's if, crazy. If they, if they win the President's Cup, they're not going to win the Stanley yeah, Cup. Yeah, that's, that's a kiss of death. <laughs> yeah. You're right about that. If they win the President's Cup, they're done. Yeah, they're done. They're, it, they're probably Vegas. a first-round exit. <laughs> they, they know the Vegas odds, too. You're, They've you're got right. first-round info. Is that what's going on? Is Guido in the locker room being like, <laughs> I want you guys to go out and make sure you play real good tonight, okay? <laughs> if you're the owner. David Perron, you got to get more than two points for me, okay? <laughs> I need you to have at least two and a half. <laughs> if you're the Vegas, if you're the owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, you could not ask for anything better because with the Oakland Raiders oh. two years away from becoming the Las Vegas Raiders and becoming the sexiest team probably in all professional sports, yeah, one hundred, you could not ask for anything better because you don't want to be you want to be terrible for three years, no, and then have the Raiders come in and be pretty much well forgotten about. No, yeah, this is amazing. And someone I know, she lives out in Vegas. She's got a little boy that's maybe like five or six years old, and she posts videos on Instagram and Facebook all the time. Her kid is Golden Knights crazy. Have you seen these home games of there? I mean, it's like an abs- it's absolute electric. I've heard what it's a lot they of do fun. during the games. Really? Like, oh, it's ridiculous. Great in game. Oh, presentation. I mean, huh? it's the, been the, the major. Blue, the Blues are playing the Vegas Knights. Uh, in Vegas this weekend, and I was thinking about going out there to go see them play because I've heard that the first two weekends of the NCAA tournament, one of those two weekends, is a great time to be out in Vegas. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, because you're just at the sports book the entire time. <laughs> like you're not leaving. You're, great, you don't, you're not even seeing daylight. It's a great time to lose money, <laughs> depending on who you're depending betting. Depending on who, really it, a great time it, to go, DJ. If, <laughs> if I, I would have been betting this past weekend, I would have been coming home a sorry loser. That's for sure. Oh, you would not have been the only. We we'd be lucky to like leaving with the shirt. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Goodness, <laughs> but yeah, they they have really really electric. I mean, YouTube, look it up. They have a great atmosphere. And to your point, like you know the. Everyone in sports is now thinking like, hey, this can work. Like Vegas sports in Vegas can work. Oh, absolutely. And I always thought it probably I always thought it kind of could. It helps that they're winning. It does help it, that it does, does help, help that they're winning. But but it also it sounds like it's a good product too. Unlike what we had here with Stanley. That's what I'm saying is yeah. not only are they winning, but they're getting the, you, they're getting you get fan support from winning, but they have a great atmosphere. It's it's in this day and age. And Dr. Jerry Buss of the Lakers knew this better than anybody going back to the 80s. He knew it wasn't enough to win in Los Angeles. you got to win and be entertaining. Yes. I think that's like that 
everywhere now. 100%. It's not enough just to win. That's always my argument with the Cardinals. Yeah, they win, but let's face it. The Cardinals are kind of boring. They don't exactly have a great personality. I saw on Twitter where the, the Milwaukee Brewers, they did like a remake of the Sandlot. Yeah, which and was I'm like, yeah, you, awesome. It was awesome. Awesome. <laughs> The Cardinals would never do anything like that. Yeah, they wouldn't allow it. And if they make, if they remake a movie, you know what's going to be? It's probably going to be like the Apple Dumpling Gang or something lame <laughs> and boring like that. It's uh, so family friendly down there that when they won the World Series in both '06 and '11, the song they played on the PA system was "We Like to Party" by the Venga Boys. Oh my God! Well, Someone had their Jock Jam CD out. This song makes me think of. And we were talking last week too how. Yes, there's nothing like opening day in St. Louis. It's a great, great thing. But it's the same damn thing every year. Every yeah, year. It definitely is. And in the exact same order. I remember two years ago when the Royals were playing the uh, the Baltimore Orioles in the first round. And the Royals beat them. And they broke out these t-shirts that said, these O's ain't royal. And I laughed hysterically. I'm like, and players were wearing the shirts at the press conference. Oh, really? At the press conferences, these weren't like fans. These were players wearing the T-shirt. And I'm like, okay, the Car- the Cardinals would never do anything fun like they that. They don't have oh, any no. demonstrative guys like that. None. That and is that, not the Cardinal way. You're going to piss off some beef heads. <laughs> I would kill to have a Cardinal team like that. I would kill to have one guy like I that. would, too. Tommy Pham last year you was do. just like, wow, this guy is kind of a hard ass. You know, it was kind of like and, a little and, exciting. And it, it seems like they kind of, they try to squeeze that personality oh, out of them. They, yeah. I think you do AJ have Przinski, it. I think you have it with, with Dex. And a little I, bit. And I, and, yeah, I think, and I think that the B-Fib. He's, he's a I fun think, follow on Twitter. And I, he is a fun follow on Twitter. But I think the B-Fib and I think Yachty keep, and I, I keep going back to Yachty. I think, yeah. You, 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 you think Yachty's the, the, the killjoy in that group? I don't think it, he's the I think single. It's Math- I think it's Matheny. I think 100%. Yeah. It's got to be. I think Mike, Mike Matheny, his version of fun is putting nickels and penny loafers. He's never had a day of fun in his life. I mean, he Take he, that he, to the he, bank. He, is, he, he tells that people when they have Pat Boone turned up too loud. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's something there. You think I, so? I, I think, think so. I think there is something, but I don't think it's singular. Like I put a lot of the blame on Matheny, but like look at like older. You still have a lot of older players in that you know that clubhouse. Adam Wainwright, like he's not a guy that's gonna go out and like you I know mean, wear I, that kind of t shirt or yeah, do anything no, like he, that. He won't because I mean he's a little bit too much of a square. <laughs> right, and I don't think Yadi's a square, but I think Yadi too feels, serious. Maybe I think he's too serious. That could be. Maybe that's what it is, and I think, and I think Wayno's probably a lot of fun. I, I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not in there. I'm not. A, I'm not a competitive guy, so I, I can't. I can barely even relate. Real quick, this is a few years ago. I'm walking down Broadway uh, by the stadium. The Cardinal game is going Who on. Who were you walking with at this point? Were you with Buffa? Or are you walking <laughs> I, down? I, the I was. I was, was walking. It was Kurt Warner. I was <laughs> Kurt Warner this time. Okay. I was Ozzie. talking. I was talking to Tim McKernan and Mike Bush, and we're walking down okay. Broadway. Okay. <laughs> and the the Cardinal game was getting ready to start, and I see Adam Wainwright, and he's riding the back of a golf cart. And I looked at him, I go, "Ooh, look at me! I'm Adam Wainwright. I get to ride a golf cart." You know, just kind of joking. And he looked at me, and he smiled, and he goes, "Damn right," or something like that. So I mean, like, yeah. he he's he's a little fun. He's just not crazy kind of fun. We, the Cardinals don't have any of those crazy kind of fun. Guys. I wish they did. I wish it would be. It would definitely draw. I mean, it would draw a kind of new fan base. I think for the Cardinals because this is a. I think Cardinals have probably one of the older fan bases. Oh my baseball. god! I mean, yes. so much. So you think could, it's like a church picnic? Yeah, I absolutely. You could probably call them patrons, like they're at Augusta National Golf. Oh, yes. I think you could too. Yes. 
and you know, you like you can't stand up. This is you have to applaud oh, yeah. like this, right? Oh yes, and it drives me crazy. It's um, it a fuels, baseball game. It fuels yes. that BFib mentality. And they absolutely were, okay, and they carry that attitude to the football games too. Yeah, absolutely. They when the and the Blues games. Yeah, yes. That whole lower bowl when that when that when Keel Center first opened, uh, that whole lower bowl was people who were not fans of hockey. No. They were there because it was a hot ticket, a it was, new building. They just, they just wanted to go. It was the thing to and do. And I think that, I mean, God, I remember going to Blues games at the arena. It's like, oh, it's, you know, people say, oh, it's that looks better at the arena. It was, but it wasn't. When they built the new building, they, they allowed in a type of fan that was just there to spend money, which is great. They need that more than anything. Mm-hmm. The Blues need that. But they lost that power and they lost that. They lost that um, that edge, the edge, yeah, that they that they had because with that with with those rowdy and ruckus fans absolutely. in the in the old uh, parquet. Hockey, much like football, is a very blue collar sport. Oh yeah, and you got to have that blue collar fan because they're the ones who are going to be, you know, hey, it's someone who's been you know working out in the factory or working out on the line or working out on the field or on the job site all damn day. They're tired, they're exhausted, they hate their boss, they're sick of their wife, they're sick of their kids, they just want to get drunk and scream at somebody. <laughs> Seriously, that's what they want to do. No, I, yeah, I don't yeah, blame yeah. them. I don't blame them either. Yeah, you're going to, they're going to see that out in Los Angeles when they have the new palace built. Have you seen the prices for those tickets? It's outrageous. See, I, I, but LA they're, they're is good. such a pretentious city. I just like... But okay, like, everybody... They're not going to support them anyway. The, there's, but there are a lot of kind of like blue-collar people out in Los Angeles... There really are. I think a lot of the fan base for the the Rams is definitely kind of that for in LA. Absolutely, right now. they are. You yeah. got to think about the guys who the crew on movie sets in the movie oh, industry. Oh, Carpenters, yeah. yes. And the, the key grip and the best boy, <laughs> the Mike guy, the Mike guy. Yeah, the guy, the guy holding the boom. Those are all blue collar jobs. They're blue collar union are. jobs. And I think they make a pretty good wage. You have yeah. to first of all, you have to live in Los Angeles. You you do okay. You're, I mean, you're you're probably renting a room not an apartment no a room you're probably renting a room in someone's house and the room is pretty nice there's no black mold on the wall yeah and they have running water <laughs> maybe they speak english la yeah. sounds like a waste <laughs> <laughs> you can't afford a, a thing by yourself in los angeles special thanks to iman brennan from the athletic for joining us earlier uh you can see or you can follow him on twitter at iman brennan you can read him at the athletic uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Burger. Follow Clay at a ton of Clayton. Follow Andy at Emo6. And of course, you can follow the show at Last Man Up Pod. And don't forget, you can download us on iTunes as well. We're proud to be a part of the St. Louis Podcast Network, stlpodcast.com. Everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Do you want to throw it to a hard break like that, or do you want to say, or do you want to throw in there real quick? You're listening that in, that you're listening to. No, let's do a hard break. The hard break. Okay. Yep. Because when I when I bring it back, I'm going to say it. Now, I think, and I think that's good. I, I, yeah. I, I that way you're not saying it twice within five yeah. seconds. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Yep. Hold on a second. I I that's why he's he's the fucking talent. He's the fucking talent. I, like I got a burp. So sliders from Hardee's. Yeah. That's what it is. You're drinking that 96 ounce. Lemonade there. Uh, that's mellow yellow, sir. Yeah, <laughs> even better. The talent is a power hoosier, Clay. <laughs> I, I, I saw him like, I can't remember the last time I've had mellow that's yellow. That's true. That's true. It's been a hot minute. I miss uh, Sundrop. Really like Sundrop. Mm. Sundrop. You know what I have in the, in the film machine here is ski. 
See, Sundrop was made in my hometown. Really? New Haven, Missouri. Yep. Wow. Really? Birthplace of Sundrop. What else is from New Haven? <laughs> we were the tent capital of the world. Tent capital? Yeah. How we, we had the largest. We had a, there was a factory there that made uh, most of the tents. That were people oh, that people tent. used tent. I tent. thought you said tenth. No tent. No, no, like no. one zero. Like where you sleep. Yeah. Tent was it like a tent Coleman, cap- like a Coleman factory there or something. No, it was called Kelwood. Okay. And they made tents. It was nice. New Haven's just basically a giant campfire. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> people said not Barbie. We're the tent capital of the world. We're, 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 a, tent, we're a tent here. city, like Larry Rice. Goodness. Oh. <laughs> oh. Here we go.